Last time, uh, for, for this time anyway, I'm not saying we'll never look at Jonah again, but for this time around, uh, we'll be in Jonah's uh, chapters 3 and 4 this morning, beginning in about verse 6. Uh, but since y'all did so well on the question last week, I had another question for you. And so I thought maybe uh, we could open up with a question again this morning. And my question for you this morning is this. How many of you really, really enjoy it, even if you don't necessarily say it, but you enjoy a good, I told you so moment? Mm, we do, right? Let's admit it. I, and I mean, I have a lot of them. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't always act on them, but I have a lot of them. You can ask my wife. She'll let you know. But I'm I'm sort of strategic in it. You see, I have an opinion, a strong opinion about everything. And so odds are there are going to be some things I'm right on, right? And so it just seems like I'm always right. That's because I always offer my opinion. And so anyway, it's, it's funny because we do. We enjoy being right. We enjoy being able to say, hey, you know what? I told you so. Even if we don't say it out loud, and the best is when somebody else says, yeah, you told me. I, I remember when you were right. Well, the problem is, is as we go through life and we begin to believe we're right about everything, but not you, me, mostly. I'll put all this on me. I'm not going to put your, my issues on y'all. But when, when we go through life believing that we're right about everything, sooner or later, we come to a moment where God disagrees with us. And we begin to want to say to God, Mm, I think you're wrong on this. I think I know what's best. I think I know what's right. And so uh, on this, God, I'm going to have to disagree. And I'm going to have to say later on, I told you so. I told you that this is what would happen if, if this and this and this happened. And, and so, God, I just want you to know that I'm right and you're wrong. We talked about this Wednesday night during small group. And we were just talking about how hard it is to say we're wrong and admit when we need help. And, and someone in the group uh, mentioned that, the, the problem with that is spelled P-R-I-D-E, pride, right? Our, our pride is our struggle with the Lord. You see, the truth is, is that we really do believe sometimes, if not all the time, that we do a better job of running the world than God does, or at least of running our lives. Really no different than if, you know, when we, we watch the news and we think we do a better job of running the country or the, whatever team it is that we follow, we really believe that we would do a better job. And so what we begin to do is argue with God and we begin to really run against Him, almost as if He's a, a rival opponent in a campaign and we're running against Him for leadership, basically saying, God, I would be a better leader than you. Even though we would not admit this out loud, what we're saying is, is God, I think I would be better at calling the shots than you would be, than you're doing. I think I would make a better God than you. We don't say this out loud, but when we begin to complain and we begin to be disobedient, and we begin to run away from the things God has called us to, you know what we're saying? No, God, um, when it comes to me and you, I actually am the smarter one. See, that's what Jonah had been doing up to Jonah chapter 3, verse 6. Jonah had been told by God, he's a prophet of God, go to Nineveh and tell them these words. Tell them that they stink. Tell them that they're sinners uh, and that I'm going to destroy them. Jonah says no. He runs away from God. He jumped. He has some men throw him overboard. He got on a ship, tried to get away. God wouldn't let him get away. He has a storm come against him. So these men throw him overboard. God doesn't let Jonah drown. He sends a, a, a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Inside the fish, Jonah repents. He says, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. So the fish spits Jonah out on dry land. Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he preaches maybe the, the shortest sermon ever preached. He goes and he says, hey guys, 40 days and you're all going to die. 
And then that's it. And he goes home. So you are dismissed. No, I'm playing. But, but Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. This is the result of his sermon. We see this great revival. Jonah 3, 6 says, The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And verse 7 says, And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his wicked way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw that they did, what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. So basically, the greatest revival in history takes place at Jonah's preaching. Apparently, a guy that had spent three days in the belly of a fish going, coming into town saying, hey, 40 days and y'all are all going to die is a pretty powerful object lesson. Apparently, Jonah's preaching was powerful enough for all these people to hear this cold, hard truth, which is God is going to judge you. Sometimes... A good wake-up call goes a long way, doesn't it? Sometimes we need to hear the cold, hard truth that God is not happy with sin, that God is not happy with disobedience. We need to hear the truth that God is not some pushover, that we're his favorite grandkids and you know he's going to do whatever we want if we just keep after him, and he's just going to let whatever we do slide. No, that's, that's not who God is. God doesn't doesn't care. We need to get in our minds that God does actually care if we don't do what he says. The Bible's full of evidence that shows us this. And so God uses Jonah's tiny little sermon on destruction, and we see Nineveh give up their wicked ways. Think about it, guys. One of the most wicked cities in history, here's Jonah say, y'all are all going to die, and they repent. This rebellious, bitter prophet comes into town and says, 40 days and you're done. You're toast, literally. And they turn from their wicked ways. Everyone in Nineveh, all the way from the king, all the way down to the cows, are put in sackcloth and ashes. This would have been some rough clothing, and the ashes represent you know, their, their guilt, their shame, and them not eating or drinking shows their, their remorse. And they were saying, we're sorry, please forgive us. The same thing Jonah had prayed when he was in the belly of the fish. And God had forgiven him and saved him. And so in verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he didn't do it. God had sent Jonah to Nineveh to deliver a message of destruction. This message of destruction is ultimately used for their salvation. It's ultimately used to bring about their repentance. You see, God used Jonah to actually save these people from being destroyed because of their sins. And the truth is, is that, and we know this from Scripture, and we know this from personal experience, our sin has consequences. It has physical consequences. When we sin against God and we don't do what He tells us to do, there's going to be some physical consequences because of that. There's also going to be spiritual consequences because of our sinfulness. It, it, it separates us from the Lord. David said that if we regard, or if he regarded sin in his heart, God wouldn't listen to him. 
God is not neutral on this matter when it comes to sin. He is very serious, and, and, he, and he expects obedience. In fact, he hates sin so much, he sent his own son Jesus to the cross to pay for our sin. If there was any way God could just wipe away sin without someone paying for it, he would have done it. But there is no other way. And so Jesus goes to the cross and he pays for our sin, even as we just got through singing about. But, but Jonah goes in and he says, you guys are going to all die. And they hear that and they say, let's repent just in case God will change his mind. Jonah didn't even offer any help. He didn't offer a message of repentance. He didn't offer a message of salvation. He only told them the bad news, no good news to come with it. And these people hear and they say, hey, maybe God will turn away his anger from us if we repent and turn from our wicked ways. And he does. And they're saved. They're spared. Now we come to this great rebellion. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And here's where we see Jonah running against God. We see his great rebellion. In verse 1 of Jonah chapter 4, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you well do well to be angry? So Jonah's response to God not vaporizing Nineveh is anger. And not just regular anger. He's not just like upset about it. It says that he's exceedingly displeased. In fact, in the Hebrew here, the, the word for displeased is the same exact word God uses to describe Nineveh's sin when he first calls Jonah to go there. When he says their sin has risen up in front of me, their evil has risen up in front of me, it's the same word that the author uses here to describe Jonah's anger. He says, basically, God, Jonah looks at what God did and says, this is very, very wicked what you have done, God. That's Jonah's response to God being God. What is this great evil you have done? This great evil you have done in not basically destroying this entire city. See, Jonah's running against God because he is under the impression that he knows better than God does. And so he begins to pray. This guy who never prays, this guy as he's running from God never prays. You know, you finally see him begin to pray after he's in the belly of the fish. But he's quick to start a new prayer list when God doesn't do what he wants him to do. And, and he says, isn't this what I said to myself when I was in my own country? I told you so, basically, is what Jonah's saying to God to the creator of the universe, the one who gave him breath and life. He says to God, I told you so. I knew this would happen. Guys, when you begin to tell God, I told you so, you're going down a very slippery slope. And so he says, that's why I ran away. That's why I ran to Tarshish. Not because I was scared. He says, no, because I know who you are. If in your argument against God, you begin to complain about who God is, you might have a problem, especially when you're complaining like Jonah does. Listen to the way he describes them. He says, I knew who you are, God. I know that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, 
and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He says, God, I know who you are and I know I knew that if I came here and I preached to these people and they gave the slightest inkling of repentance, you would jump at the opportunity to spare them. I knew you wouldn't destroy them if they repented, so I didn't want to come here. You see, God hates sin and He will punish sin, but His favorite thing to do is forgive sin and to save us from ourselves. His goal is never to see us destroy ourselves. His goal is never to destroy us. His goal is always to redeem us from the messes we get ourselves in. God's not sitting up there trying to figure out how He can zap us. He's trying to figure out how to bring us back to Himself. And so Jonah's like, I know the Bible and I know who you are. And I know that if I go down there and I preach to those people and they repent, you're going to forgive them. I know that you're a God who loves to forgive sinners and I don't want these people to be forgiven. I want them to be scorched like Sodom and Gomorrah. I want to see them taken out. See, Jonah was so controlled by his hate at this point. He didn't care about these people. He just wanted them destroyed. He, he was so hateful that the very nature of God seemed evil to him. Look at verse 3. It, you see how far Jonah has fallen. It says, take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. I mean, he's kind of a drama queen, isn't he? Every time he turned around, he's like, just kill me. Things didn't work out the way I wanted them to. I've got a little girl in my house that Jonah must have been learning from. But anyway, well, fine, I'll just never eat anything again, you know, that sort of thing. That's what he sounds like, right? Just kill me. It's better for me to die. And so God says, is it really okay for you to be mad? I'm going to give you a moment to reconsider what you just said. How often would you like that in a day? I'm going to give you a moment to have a mulligan on that and take back what you said before you really say it out loud. But Jonah's so mad he doesn't say anything to God. And so in verse 5, apparently Jonah's given God the silent treatment. Jonah went out of the city and set to the east of the city. All right. He went out of the city and set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So Jonah in his stubborn hatred, instead of listening to God, instead of talking with God, goes out and builds him a little hut up on the hill to watch what's going to happen. Just picture for yourself this mad little old man sitting out there with his arms crossed up on the hill just waiting on, some, on God to send fire down from heaven and kill everybody. Probably muttering something to himself about he wishes he would have taken a camel instead of a ship. You know, that, that sort of thing. But, but God is not done with him. Look at verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Jonah's so selfish, guys. Think about this for a moment. When he sees the people not destroyed, he's exceedingly angry. When God causes the plant to come up and give him some shade, he's exceedingly glad. What's the center of Jonah's universe at this point? Jonah. That's all he cares about is Jonah. And so he said, no, I, I, I hope he kills all these people I don't like. And I'm super happy when he puts a plan over my head. His number one concern in life is his own comfort. is his own self. What he wants. He's having a little pity party because God didn't do exactly what he wanted. Then we come to verse 7. And we see God continuing to teach this man. I mean, he basically gives Jonah every opportunity to learn. But look at verse 7. 
It says, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. That, that kind of makes my head hurt just a little bit. But, but when you don't have any covering up there, I mean, that's painful, right? But, but, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's basically the opposite of Job. Remember, Job had everything. God took it all away or allowed Satan to take it all away. And Job said, the Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jonah's response to having a plant taken away is, kill me now. I wonder, guys, if half or if most of our complaints to God in prayer are because he's allowing comfort to be taken out of our lives. I wonder if when we get upset with God, it's because we're so focused on ourselves that we don't realize that that was an extra blessing that he was giving us to begin with and that we really didn't need it. But we're so entitled that, that we forget all the things he has given us. And when one little thing goes wrong, it just destroys everything. I wonder if we allow things to build up in our life to where when one little bitty thing happens, all of a sudden it just it causes us to explode. Like, like if, you, if you go on long enough without dealing with certain things, do you let it build up to the point that you just begin to, to unload on the people around you? And, and so let me, let me get to my point here. Look at, look at verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you, well, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He's like, are you sure you want to die because your house plant died or because your shade tree died? Are you sure that's the call you want to make? He would do really bad at my house. We're not good at taking care of plants, and so it would be a very sad day every day. But, but Jonah says, I'm angry enough to die over a plant. And what I'm getting at, guys, is the truth is, is if we don't pay attention to our heart, we'll do the same thing. We will cause the biggest scene over the smallest little thing. You'll come home from a long day or a week or years and all of a sudden, all this stuff you haven't dealt with gets unloaded on whoever's waiting for you. It's not that they did anything necessarily bad that day. Maybe it's the last fight you had that you really never got over and then, you know, they, they forget to, to put the toilet seat down and it's like, you just don't love me. You don't care about me. Not saying, I always put the toilet seat down in my house, but I'm just saying, if you let things build up, too long, what ends up happening? Itty bitty stuff can absolutely cause you to come unglued. You go outside to go into work and you have a flat tire and you're like, God, just kill me. My life is over. You may not say it in those words, but that's what you're thinking, right? I'm, everything just goes wrong in my life. I overslept for work again. But, but we, we allow these things to build up in our lives and if we don't deal with them, if we don't take them before the Lord and we don't remember who's actually in charge we begin to be like Jonah and everything is about us. We don't have time to think about anybody else because all we can think about is us. And the next thing you know, you're running against God, telling God how he should be running your life, what he should be doing for you, how he should be treating other people, and how dead houseplants cause you to become suicidal. And, and guys, I'll be honest, I, I know it's sort of a comical situation, but then again, it's not. Because we've all found ourselves there. We can, we can look at our lives and see the small little thing that caused us to lose it. 
knowing that's really not the problem. Knowing that if we trace back where this is coming from, it's actually coming from that moment in our life where something happened we didn't like and we began to try and take God's job from Him. We began to try and tell God how He ought to be running our life. We began to tell God, hey God, this is what you ought to be doing. This is how you ought to be treating me. God, I'm smarter than you. And if you don't deal with that, next thing you know, everything is a problem. And so you have to trace your, your steps back, so to speak, back to that moment in your life where you began to try and run against God. And so we have to get back to that point where we say, God, you're right, I am wrong, you're God, I am not. <coughs> and I'll, I'll move along a little bit because I, I want us to, to see that the heart of God here in verse 10, God begins to unpack for Jonah the real problem in Jonah's life. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. He says, Jonah, you were upset over a plant that existed for a total of one day that you did nothing for. A plant that you didn't even have time to water, Jonah. It was here today, gone tomorrow, and you have pity on this plant. So come to verse 11. He says, now compare that. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. This right hand from their left, most people feel like this is an idiom describing children. So he's saying, basically, Jonah, why should I destroy a city with more than 120,000 children and also a lot of cows? Jonah, what you got against cows? That's what God is saying to him. Should I not have pity on these people who I've created? Jonah, you're so angry. You're so mad at these people. You can't see to the fact that there are a lot of innocent people in this city. All you care about is that these people are destroyed. You see, Jonah's problem was is that he knew about God, but he didn't really always understand God. He didn't get God's heart. You see, Jonah, as a, as a Jewish prophet, he would have known pretty much everything there is to know about God that's humanly possible. He would have known the Word really well, and he would have had all these answers to theology questions. I mean, he is a prophet of God. He does speak on God's behalf. He has a lot of information on God. But the problem is, is Jonah doesn't know God's heart. And, and, and here's what I mean. Jesus is asked in the Gospels. Someone comes to me and they say, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response is, Well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. But then Jesus goes on and he says, and the second is like it. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to define neighbor as someone in need, that we're to be a neighbor to them. What Jesus is getting at is the two are really connected. You see, John, the Apostle John, connects them for us. And he says, how can you say you love God if you don't love your brother? How can you say you love God who you've never seen if you can't love your brother who you have seen? What John's point is, what Jesus' point is, and here what God's point to Jonah is, if you have no time, patience, grace, or compassion for other people, you don't know what it is to love God. You don't know what it is to follow God. That's John's point. That's Jesus' point. That's God's point. You can't love God and not love people, His creation. It's impossible. You can't do one without the other. They are interlinked. You see, Jonah's problem was is that he had so missed what God was teaching him and saying to him that all he cared about was himself. 
When we love God, that puts our focus outward, not inward. Jonah, as far as he was concerned, they could all be destroyed and go to hell and he'd be happy with that. In fact, that's what he wanted. But God says, Jonah, you're missing it, man. Don't you understand? This is what I'm about. I'm about more than just keeping the law. I'm about more than just keeping some rules. He's saying, I don't care if you won every state championship Bible drill and never miss a day of Sunday school class. If you don't love people, you don't know what it is to love God. If you don't have uh, forgiveness for others, you don't have grace for others, how can you possibly say, I know what it is to be forgiven? And so God killed Jonah's plan to get his attention. God allowed Jonah to experience discomfort so that he would open up his eyes and look around. Maybe that's what he's doing in your life this morning. Maybe he's trying to get your attention. Instead of being focused on these people frying, what if you focused on the way that you could help them? And I know this is something that's true in my own life, and I'm sure as you look at your lives, you can look around you and see where you're viewing people not through compassion and grace and mercy, but through the law. How do you want God to view you? Through grace, right? Jonah, let's get it clear. Jonah loves grace. He loves it when God forgives him. It's not so much when he forgives the people he doesn't like. Jonah loves grace when it's for him. It's not when it's for other people. And so Jonah had not stopped to think about the people in Nineveh because he didn't care about the people in Nineveh. All he cared about was him and his own. What about you this morning? Are you so concerned about yourself that you don't have time to consider the, the grace that you should be showing others, the compassion you'd be showing others? I, I want to end with two, two, just very two points quickly. Now that we're through the introduction, I'll give you two points real quickly. First is God loves to save sinners. He loves Jonah so much that even when Jonah in disobedience has himself thrown over the side of a boat in an attempt to have himself killed, he sends a fish to swallow him up so he has an opportunity to repent. Even Jonah, this, this bitter man who, who seems to never get what God is saying, he, he's still gracious to him, puts him back on dry land, and he uses Jonah to go in and preach the gospel to, to the people of Nineveh. He, he uses Jonah to go in and preach to these people that he loves so much that he sends Jonah over there to tell them about himself, to tell them about the coming judgment so that they would repent and turn to him. Maybe this morning there's people in your life who God has placed you in their life so you can tell them about Christ. Maybe that person you sit next to at work or at school, that family member. Maybe this morning he loves Hot Springs so much that he's put Grand Avenue here to go to this great city full of all these people and a few cows. I think we may have a few cows left in the city limits, but, but, but we can't become Jonah sitting under our comfortable little shade tree watching and waiting to see if they all get destroyed. Now we're, we're to be about the Lord's work, to go out and share the gospel, to go out and share the compassion and mercy and grace that we have received as we get opportunity. Let me ask you a what-if question. This is something I thought about as I was studying through this. Jonah preaches... They repent. God doesn't destroy them. Jonah gets mad and goes out and quits ministry, basically, and waits on these people to die. What if Jonah would have spent the rest of his life in Nineveh teaching them about God and about God's Word and about God's grace and what God has said? See, Jonah was afraid that Nineveh would eventually come for Israel and destroy his people, and they did. They didn't stay faithful to the Lord. They turned back to their evil ways, and eventually they came in and destroyed Israel. What if Jonah would have poured into these people and discipled them? Would they have ever come for Israel? 
or would they have remained faithful? What if Jonah had continued to do the job that God sent him to do? God never said, Jonah, you're done. Jonah, I'm dismissing you. No, Jonah quit. Would these people have stayed the course? What would happen in your life if instead of the first thought being, how does this benefit me or what is this going to cost me, your first question is, how can I serve my neighbor? How can I show God's grace to this person? What would change? What would you do different this week? That's the question God is asking you this morning. How can you serve the people around you? God loves to save sinners, and he loves to use us to bring them the message of the gospel. But let me finish with this second truth, this warning that Jesus gives. He's speaking to a group of people who are ignoring him. They're basically putting their fingers in their ears, and they're saying, we're not going to listen to anything you have to say. And so Jesus looks at them, and he says this in Matthew 12. He says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. These people had said, we don't want to listen to you. And Jesus says, listen, when it comes judgment day, the people of Nineveh are going to rise up and say, hey, we repented from that bitter old prophet named Jonah. And there's one greater than Jonah who preached to you. How dare you ignore the gospel? This morning I, I ask you, what, what's going to be said to you on the day of judgment? Here you have God's word. You have the entire revelation of God to us, given to you in, in the Word of God. You have the preaching of the Word. You, you have a church that witnesses to you about God's Word and about the Gospel. What's going to be said to you on the Day of Judgment? Are the people of Nineveh going to rise up and say, hey, listen, we repented at a one-sentence sermon, and here you've had all this time, and you refused. Will you stay, what will you say when you stand before the Lord? God wants to forgive you this morning. He wants to save you. He wants to redeem you. He's offered you salvation in Christ. When Jesus says there's one greater than Jonah here, what he meant was is the Son of God has come. Where Jonah ran from what God had called him to do, where Jonah ran from the will of God, Jesus ran to the will of God. When God called, or when in God's will, God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us, and Jesus came willingly and lovingly with joy before Him because He wants a people for Himself. He sent His Word to you. He has brought you into this place to hear from Him this morning. He wants to save you. All the evidence supports the fact He wants you to be redeemed. The question is, will you be? Or will you die and on the day of judgment? Will the people of Nineveh stand up and say, Dude, you had every bit of evidence and you chose to reject it. Or will you believe and repent and turn to him this morning? If you would, stand with us. And as you stand, I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, after I pray, we're going to have a song. As we sing, would you come? Father, I pray. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. God, I thank you that no matter what, your grace extends beyond our greatest disobedience and sin. Lord, I thank you that you have given us your word to reveal to us the gospel, to reveal to us who you are and what you want to do. And Lord, I pray that those gathered here this morning who don't know you, God, that you bring to know you through, through your son Jesus. And Lord, those who do know you, that you would bring them to a place where they're serving you and following you. Lord, we need your help in this place. Would you help us this day? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come as we sing?